This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's going on, Josh? Welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. So, Josh, you were with you were the CEO of Beachwood Marketing. To me, whenever whenever Colin first mentioned this, and I was like, it sounds like he does timeshares down in the Caribbean. <laughs> right. Beachwood is maybe that's what resonated with me, yeah. but that's yeah. not what you do. It's not what I do. Yeah. So, kind of give us a little synopsis. You guys are in the M and A game. Yeah, I'm in the or A and D. Yeah, A and D. Okay. Yeah, contract A and D, contract business development. Okay. So a lot of teams that are created in the oil and gas space have the engineers, have the geologists, have the you know the private equity money. They are having trouble tracking down deals. So we come in and we primarily focus on off market assets. We track them down, find them, and deliver them to the teams. So very cool. Yeah. Something interesting that I didn't know about Joshua. I've known Josh how long we've known each other for a couple months now. Yeah. Huh? You came out to one of our happy hours yeah. and met there and stayed in touch over LinkedIn. And one thing I didn't know about you that you just told me is that you're from Boston. So I mm. find this extremely intriguing. Yeah, how'd, never, you, how'd you end up in <laughs> oil? Yeah, yeah, we we, we, we got to yeah. rewind a little yeah, bit. Like, yeah. I needed some backstory. Sure. How did you get from Boston into oil and gas? Give us Where's your, your accent. Story. Are you an imposter? No, I'm not. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, total imposter. No. So long story short, I'm in sales and marketing in the South. In sales, you don't have an accent um, <laughs> because, well, I used to work for a retail chain, right? And I was working up this big sale. I was selling appliances at the time and I had everything all booked out. Right. And this guy comes over and I was like, don't worry. You know, we got your refrigerators all set. Your dishwasher is good. And he was like, <laughs> my what? And I was like, your dishwasher. And he's like, where are you from? And I was like, I'm from New England. And he was like, no, I, I want to talk to somebody that's from here. I want to buy my stuff. <laughs> I don't want to talk here. to no Yankee. <laughs> that's right. Right. And so I lost that sale. It was like five grand worth of deals. And I went home and I was like, it's a dishwasher. I'm looking at myself in the mirror like, it's a dishwasher. It's a dishwasher. That's what you're doing. You know, you're selling dishwashers. And so Josh's I going so on I YouTube just, learning, getting yeah, yeah. speech tutorials. That's off exactly of YouTube. right. Yeah. So, you know, I, so I, from that point on, really tried to, Blanket the, the accent, know, the yeah, accent yeah. down. And it's funny because I used to be worried about that with my Southern accent, especially, you know, when I was getting Instagram accounts and I was always worried. I was like, man, I get on Instagram stories and I'm worried about my Texas accent. And then finally I was just like, you know what? Fuck it. There's, there's no hiding it. I just right. got to embrace it. So right. yeah, that is funny though. And it's yeah. funny that you, you sold appliances. That was like one of my first jobs out of, uh, High school, so nice. Yeah, yeah, I know how that goes too. Like but, Sears yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sears yeah I, I graduated high school in the downturn in '08, so I'm from Midland and okay. graduated from Midland Lee, and I had no opportunity in the oil business. Nobody wanted to hire me right out of high school, so right. yeah, I went to selling appliances, but nice. didn't didn't have the barrier of not being able to say dishwasher. Right. <laughs> I have an accent that comes out. The more drinks I have, the that more might. my accent. <laughs> might though, but I mask it pretty well. Yeah. Unless like this this week we're in Oklahoma and we're hanging out. I was hanging out with just Colin and all of our field guys, and it started coming out a little bit. Yeah. God, I sound so backwards right <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah, that's so, what, me me as well. All right. So I was in the Air Force. So I was fresh out okay. of fresh out of high school. I joined the Air Force, and then I worked 
during the I worked Air Force during the day, and then at night I would work selling appliances. And then when I got out, Lowe's was like, "Hey, you're a vet. We'll put you wherever you want." And it was like 2002, so they were just they were popping up everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so I got into Oklahoma that way. Okay, so they took so that's you to how Oklahoma I got, City. Yeah, so that's okay. how I from the Boston to I actually went to Wyoming in the in the service, and then it, they popped me in Oklahoma City, which is where my wife is from. Okay. So that's why we're there. So she locked you down to Oklahoma City. She did. So you're stuck <laughs> she there. She did. So that's another story. So we met online back when you'd pick the phone up and it would disconnect the internet. <laughs> so so we, did, did you meet on MySpace? We or? met. We met. AOL Instant Messenger. AOL Instant Messenger. That's how I learned how to type, man. Yeah, 1997. Wow. So. Jeez. Dude, that was like 1960s dial-up. Yeah. Like you send a message, yeah, 10 minutes later it goes through. Yeah, there was no like pictures or That was actually, anything, yeah, that was so. the first year I got Instant Messenger. Like it was 97, 98. So, My screen name was Dallas Cowboy Fan. Nice. <laughs> Just no number one needed. Yeah, no, You're literally Dallas, the, yeah, I was the like first the, the person. OG Dallas Cowboy fan. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So anyway, personal. So life you guys aside. met. So you guys met. Yeah. Online, AM. You're stuck in OKC. You're working at Lowe's. Yeah. What's next? So I get a call from my sister-in-law, who's also sales and marketing, and she's in oil field compliance. Okay. And she does. You know, gets everyone in compliance in the oil field, mm-hmm. um, selling different products or whatever. And she said, "Hey, Obama just got elected. We're about to make some money. We're like environmental compliance is where you want to be in 2008." And so I was like, "Okay, let's let's go make some money." So <laughs> I went and I started working with her doing oil field compliance. And as you can imagine, talking to oil and gas guys about environmental compliance is awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. Everybody loves HSA. They just want to punch you in the throat and yeah, move on down the not road. Not exactly everyone's best friend no, in that no, sector. No, not at all. And so, so that's actually how Beachwood got started. So I called this guy and I said, I said, hey man, you know, there's new rules, there's new laws, you got to do this and that. And he was like, I don't have to do that. And I was like, I mean, you do. I mean, that's it's like I don't have to get a driver's license. I mean, you do. You can drive if you want, but you kind of need to do this. And he was like, no, I don't. I'm just going to sell out. And I was like, oh, okay. Of everything? He's like, yeah, done. I'm just getting out, period. So I hang up the phone. I call a guy that I'd done business with, and I said, hey, Dale. I said, hey, man, you told me that if anybody ever said, hey, I want to just sell out, sell my stuff or you know, sell a well mm-hmm. or whatever, give you a call. So I'm calling you. And so he calls me back and he's like, Josh, this is two months later. Josh, those were, that was John. And I've been trying to buy John's wells for a decade and we just closed. Wow. Let's, let's do that again. So side hustle, he was out of San Antonio. So it was pre Eagleford and I was just doing side hustle, just finding Mm -hmm. deals that didn't exist that were next to his wells, just calling the guys out in the field and just connecting A to B. So that was going, you know, doing a little bit here, a little bit there. But in 2013, we're sitting around drinking beer and he's like, if I want to sell a well, I have to put it on a bid site. You have yeah, to go auction. Broker. Yeah, you yeah. got to auction yeah. it off. There's only a handful. Yeah, EnergyNet, right. PLS, oil and gas so clearinghouse. He said, you know, it's, it's under a million bucks. And if it's under a million, they get 10% commission. He's like, if I had a $900,000 house, 
I would never pay somebody 90 grand to put it on a website. Like, I just wouldn't do that. But in oil and gas, that's the thing. Mm -hmm. And we're drinking beer. And I'm like, you know, (laughs) I I start talking like dishwasher. You know, I'm like, God, give it to me. You know, I'll make some money on this thing. Let's do this. You know, and so so that's how Beachwood started. It was it was basically everything under a million bucks that you wanted to sell as a small operator because oil is 140 bucks a barrel. You're trying to pop as many holes in the ground as you possibly can. You don't have time to mess with all this. Yeah. So I was calling all the guys that were next door neighbors to one another, like, hey, you know, the, the Smith number one is right next to you. They want to sell it. Here's the number. Do you guys want to do it? Yeah. Okay. Call Dale and get this done. So I, that's what started it all. And then, we opened up Beachwood, opened the doors. Wait, what year did you start Beachwood? 2014. 2014, okay. Yeah, so, so started 2014, literally inked it. So 7714, so I'll never rem- I'll never forget, you know, that the day that we inked it and then like 3 months later oil crashed. Yeah. And of course that's what happens. You're like I'm going to make a life decision. It's going to be awesome. And then everything that you, all the models that you just figured out are just try, you just throw them all in the trash. We did this. I was in the same boat in the, at the exact same time. We had just started my first tech company in oil, GDS, where, and we were like, ah, oh, we're going to make a heavy push into the market and everything's good and oil's great. And then it just tanked. And it was like all the conversations that we had, everybody's just like, we don't know if we're going to have a job tomorrow. So we're right. really going to put this on the shelf for, until like for like two or three years. And right. we were just like, oh my God, how the hell are we supposed to build a company right. in this environment? So I can relate. Yeah. That's so, a, but you know, at the time, it sucks when the market doesn't cooperate with you. But I'm a big believer in that the best businesses are built from the bottom, you know, built in the ruins of a market. If you can survive those times, then, I mean, you're, you're set up for success yeah. when things are good. So I, it's I definitely, agree. you know, definitely not a, a, a bad thing to start building your business oh, in, the, yeah. in the downturn. Well, it's just built out of necessity. So we were focused. I was very small minded, you know, focused a million and under, focused on, you know, on the deals that were essentially easy. I mean, we, mm-hmm. doing deals at 140 bucks a barrel is that that's easy all day long. You yeah. just sell them. But out of necessity, no one wants to sell their stuff at 26 bucks a barrel. Like they just don't. They're not trying to market anything. They're not trying to do any of that. So lucky for me, I had sold a couple of wells to a private equity backed oil and gas company. And they said, we, we like this. We like you get going out, finding deals that we don't see in our target area. We're going to put you on retainer and you go find these deals for us. Very cool. And basically built the model that we have now because of, out of necessity. I mean, it was easy doing, doing these tiny deals. Now we're in like, you know, dropping off LOIs for $290 million. That's that was well outside of my so sub million to two hundred ninety yeah, million just real quick just overnight, yeah. you know. But it was two thousand fifteen. Yeah, you know, two hundred ninety million dollars sounds like a ton of money, except it was based on twenty six dollar barrel oil. So you know, you're you're talking about it's probably worth nine hundred million. Yeah. So they weren't they weren't buying. Yeah. You know, we had to hustle. I had to hustle and find everything. Everything you could possibly imagine, dig, 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 call, call, call. I mean, that's that's all Beachwood is, is just 
Doing, doing the legwork. Man, just calling a thousand <laughs> people, getting told no a thousand times, and just being stoked to come in and make a thousand more calls Stoke tomorrow. tank is super full. Yes. The Stoke, Stoke tank is full. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, you know, you, I was going to ask what were your biggest challenges that you faced during those times, and you really just touched base on that. It's kind of interesting because I, I would figure during that time that you know, you'd have a lot of companies that were looking to sell and get assets off their books, you know, to cover many liabilities that they have. So it's kind of an interesting thing that you said that a lot of people were trying to hold on. I mean, nobody wants to sell at the bottom, but we know that this industry tends to be over leveraged. So that's just something that I see is kind of interesting that you're having a challenge with that. Yeah. And that's what, that was the big thing. 15, 16, we would go to conferences like NAEP that's going on, you know, or that, you know, that happens every year or whatever but they just couldn't figure out how it was that everyone was still just in business like how are you doing this you're obviously over leveraged the banks aren't they weren't trying to take a loss they were like you know what if we just hold on a little bit longer the storm. maybe you'll go up and yep. then you know it hits 26 and then it immediately starts going back up and they're like okay maybe we can make it at 31 maybe we can make it at 40 and you see all these reports that come out like hey we can make money at $40 a barrel. And like they were <laughs> stoked about it. Everybody yeah. was like, yes. A, lot, yes, of, a lot of the large to mid cap companies were hedged at about 85 to $90 barrel for about a good year and a half after the crash. And so they were coasting, you know, they they were kind of on the edge of their seat, kind of waiting to see what would happen. We saw as soon as those hedges were up, a lot of them were up at around the same time. We saw like another couple dozen bankruptcies almost instantly. Uh-huh. So, yeah. And being in the off market side, it's funny, you know, you would think you could just go and tell people like, hey, hey, I want to buy your I stuff. I want to buy your like, stuff. And they're like, yeah, great. But the deal isn't like if I was going to go buy your house, I'm not going to go to your house and be like, hey, I'm interested in buying your house. <laughs> How much do you owe on your mortgage? Which is what people in this business were essentially doing. Yeah. Like, I know you're. I know, I know you live in a $300,000 house, but you owe four. So let me give you three. You yeah. know? And they, that's what they were doing. And so it didn't work. No mm-hmm. transactions happened. Nobody was moving. Nobody was doing anything unless you were target focused. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so we worked with the groups that would take a short-term loss to get a long-term gain. Yep. Because you know what? It's $45 a barrel. I'm not going to run my economics off 45. I'm running off 60. And you're overpaying. Yeah. But now it's it's 67. You look a genius. Yeah. You bought this when nobody else is buying for a little bit more. Yeah. But what if it goes to 90? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like now all of a sudden you look really smart <laughs> yeah that's you know so, a, lot, a lot of people in it is a bit of speculation but we do know that oil and gas runs in cycles so if you're willing to take that risk and buy at the bottom of the market and take a gamble on product price right then you look like a fucking genius at right. the end of the day well because they at the end of the day it's not about what the actual barrel is right it's about what you're what you're very very positive geologist says that the, <laughs> that the, the, the rock looks what, really what, good. What the reservoirs look that's like. Right. Yeah. That's right. That's <laughs> right. And so if you target an area, who cares? Mm-hmm. You already know that's where you're going to target. And if you can find it and you can buy it, you buy it. 
period. And that's what we built our company on. So your clients, are you mostly dealing, you know, with private equity firms or is, is it the so, exploration companies? Themselves? So that's what it, that's where it started. So like I said, 2015, there were 70 oil and gas companies that were private equity backed, fully funded in the Permian Basin. There were 70 of them. Mm-hmm. No assets. Everyone was looking for assets. Wow. And so we're an asset finding company. Mm-hmm. It was like heyday. I mean, it was like, <laughs> wow, you can find us assets. A lot of opportunity. This is great. Yeah. The problem is private equity usually comes with things like boards and usually comes with things like long wait times between, yes, we like it and we will pull the trigger. And so on my side, I had to learn which companies would actually be pulling the trigger. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to, we did short contracts so that, you know, hey, if I bring you 80 deals and you don't close any of them, you're, just, you're burning my time yeah. and my leads yeah. when I can just hand it to somebody else and they'll close 79 of them. Yep. Like, so it was that whole process of finding the right clients at the right time. Mm-hmm. It transformed as soon as it hit 55 a barrel, 57 a barrel. It transformed to not just private equity, but family, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. your, your typical family oil and gas. And Talking about the uh, 70 operators that were funded, fully funded by private equity in the Permian, where is the bulk of your work taking place right now? You know, the Permian is extremely competitive, and we talk about this all the time. It's funny, Jake and I were at an M&A conference a while back, and they had a uh, talking panel with some uh, private equity fund managers. And it's just funny to hear these guys talk about how competitive the Permian is and that they're more profitable in other plays, but they'll just take their profits from the smaller plays and then reinvest them into the Permian. Right. And so it's always an interesting dynamic to see what people are doing in the Permian because it kind of seems a little bit of FOMO at times. Like people just want to be out there when there are some other profitable areas that they could be in. So maybe you have some insight on, you know, where the where the majority of y'all's attention is focused on sure. now and yeah so to just speak on that so their hashtag terms that's the easiest way I can describe it <laughs> so like like stack pay sounds awesome yeah. you just hashtag stack pay yeah you know and you like buzzwords yeah, yeah yeah and it's literally they put these buzzwords out there and they make money like Apache's doing shitty and you know, what are we going to do? The stock price is going down. They put a PR out that's like, we found Alpine High. No one knows what that is. It's a hell of a hashtag. <laughs> awesome. This stock went through the roof. Like that's that, you know, they're like, hey, EOG, what are you doing? Ah, you know, it's tough right now and this and that. And we're doing this and we're over here. Nothing. Stocks tumbling down. We bought Clayton Williams. That's a hell of a front page. (laughs) And the stock goes up $2.7 billion overnight. They get a free purchase of Clayton Way. I mean, just crazy. And that's, it's a different game. So there's the normal oil and gas where you're like, okay, what is this rock going to do? How much oil am I going to make? And then there's the stock. And it's like, I don't really care what. What makes what business does. sense? Who cares? <laughs> Jake it, and I, it got a good we, talk, we talk about this a lot. Publicly traded oil and gas companies aren't the healthiest oil and gas companies or the most profitable because when you have to report to public shareholders, 
it is a lot of news reporting to drive good sentiment. You in the also market. look at basic human psychology. You know, if if how much you are worth is driven solely on on the on the stock price, and along with every single other employee who has stock options, what do you care about? Right. You care about the profitability of the company. You care about the stock price. Right. That's it. So it's how price. we're incentivized, and so until that changes, the public companies are going to keep yeah. operating the exact it's same nuts, way. It's nuts, man. It's it's crazy. It's like I like Devin. I like them. I like the company. I like what they do. They're huge in Oklahoma City. They're mm-hmm. everywhere, right? I have friends that are over there or that were over there. And I had stock in Devin. <laughs> and I'm I love this company. I think they can drill a well. They're in the stack right now. They're do stack good hashtag. Yeah. Hashtag. I, no, no one knows no one knows what the what the T stands for, but they sure do like that hashtag. Yeah. No. So but they put a press release out that says we're going to cut 400 people, 400 people from the Oklahoma City core company. Group. I mean, yeah. we are getting better in Oklahoma City. We're getting better to be not 100 percent oil and gas based, but still very heavy, still very heavy. And you're going to you're going to get rid of 400 people. That's bad news. Mm-hmm. Stock went up 10 bucks. <laughs> because it's less money you have to pay yeah. people. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. What? So let's How? Fix. You know what? Let's cut another four. Yeah. Let's, let's do another. You know, it's, it's crazy. Like let's they, run they lean, lean startup mode. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, guess what? You're doing land and engineering. Good job. Well, well, yeah. well worth it. You know, you're wearing another hat <laughs> just, today. Just consolidating. It's a bit. nuts. It's just crazy how the business is set up right now where it's. It doesn't matter whether or not you can actually drill a well. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I always... And unfortunately, that's true. We've talked so much about this just in like little, you know, side conversations with a lot of different people. And it's, you know, especially with, with, with our company moving forward, you know, it's all about, obviously we're, we're not a public company, but you know, it's what makes the most business sense. What is the most efficient? Right. And like that conventional logic is completely lost in all these public companies. Right. And then, you know, we go to these conferences and you see these people, you know, talk about, yeah, we have a, a gap of people. You know, there, there was 80s, there was a gap where the, the business crashed and 2008 it crashed again. And so we don't have all these people. But at the same time, you got kids graduating from tech, graduating from A&M with, with high quality degrees trying to get in the market and they can't do it. And they're smart they can drill the well they can make the money for the companies and they just don't care the the the, it's like no we we can't put you on you know we we, we just put out a post the other day for interns at deep rock and had over 200 people apply and i mean highly highly qualified qualified experience like like some of them are overqualified it's so it's just it's just wild and and um, and the general consensus of the of the entire industry is that we don't have enough talent. There's not enough talent. Mm-hmm. No, you, there's a lot of talent. You're out not there. playing the game. Yeah. That it's, it's different. You want somebody that's going to do it for eight bucks an hour. Yeah. <laughs> and you want them to have a master's from Harvard. Like yeah. <laughs> you can't have both. That's, yeah, that's what's happening. Yeah. So, Oh, pretty, let me answer your question. Oh, yeah. Go, <laughs> so we, go so, ahead and answer yeah. my question. I, I forgot what my question was, to be so honest. Where, <laughs> so where, where are Beachwood clients buying? Yeah. And so it's south. Okay. So basically 
Colorado, Kansas, New Mexico, Oklahoma, Texas, a little bit of Louisiana. I was actually surprised with how busy Colorado was. Been up there yeah. several times and you know, from Denver, Denver up north to Wyoming border seemed to be pretty busy. And then, yeah, like Jake said on the tech scene, a lot of oil and gas tech startups based out of Denver. Yeah. So it's pretty, pretty hopping scene up there right yeah. now. But you're here in Houston with us today. You're here for NAPE. How is NAPE going? How is sentiment up there? Is it is it good? I know NAPE's probably potentially lucrative event for you and the business that you're in. So Yeah, I mean, Summer NAPE and, and Winter NAPE are really the only two conferences that I go to. Yeah. Um, it's just the people that you try to get in front of all yeah. the time. The business conference this year at, at Summer NAPE was dry. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think that... Uh, I really don't think anybody... Was it dry from just like not enough buyers or not enough sellers? No, no, no. The the conference itself, I think the speakers this year, I mean, it just... You go to figure out... You want to know what's going to happen in 2019. That's what that's what all everybody wants to know. Get an like, outlook. yeah, is yeah. it going to be good to buy or should I not buy? Like, mm-hmm. just give me a general consensus. And it was like, how do you keep your people? We're, we're business development guys. We we don't get. <laughs> we're the first ones to get cut. You know, <laughs> like oh, you're gonna you're gonna go business develop somewhere else. Yeah. You know, uh, so you know the convention. Supposed to be good. I I haven't gone yet, but it's supposed to be all right. The winner one I expect to be humongous. Mm-hmm. I think February 2019 is going to be stupid. I okay. S- especially if the oil stays where it is, or bumps up, or even bumps down. I th- I think the exits are going to come out. I it's mean, usually yeah. It's usually A and D and M and A season for like yeah, the first four months of the year. Yeah. Really I definitely up for something yeah. towards the end of this year was crazy with well, all, the, yeah. all the deals that we had earlier this year. Yeah, well, yeah. last two weeks there's been twenty billion dollars worth of deals in the last two yeah. weeks. You know, yeah. I mean, you just you're gonna buy energy. So there's really? another big like, acquisition <laughs> today. Like, yeah, nine billion dollars buy energy. <laughs> who, who made that acquisition? I didn't see that one. There was another one today uh, too. Diamond, that I saw. Diamondback bought them. It's only two hundred. Diamondback bought Ajax for a million. I mean, for a billion two. Yeah, and. Energy for nine ish. Yeah, so they made two acquisitions to, in one week. Yeah, I saw one today. It was for God, yeah. only two hundred fifty million though. So <laughs> it doesn't hit the billion. Yeah, it's not, it's not cool unless it's a bill, right? Right. But Man. yeah, that's in you, the consolidation of the oil and gas field is just what's going to happen again. It's the same concept. It's killing. You know, oh, you have four hundred employees that that you can give their jobs to these people. Oh, you have. 25 oil and gas companies that could get eaten by these other ones. Yeah. It's just going to bump the stocks. Yep. That's all. Yeah. So what do you, what do you think from like a deal flow perspective in NAB? Is, is it what it used to be? I mean, look, look at the business conference aside. I mean, I've gone for like the last five years to pretty much all of them. I've seen the ups and downs and I've seen kind of just the sentiment in the, in the room. This last winter one was just popping. It was probably the most busy one that I've been to so far. It was good. Yeah. It was way better than the previous two years. But is it a place where you can actually get deals done or is it a whole lot of just after parties? I think a lot of deals happen at the Hilton bar. Huh? Yeah, a lot of deals happen at the Hilton. That's what we heard. So as somebody who works in non-marketed deals, it definitely doesn't happen at the table. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I say that. It's those conversations that you can't have. I mean, you can't call EOG. You can't call Chevron. You can't call them and get somebody. Yeah. You can at Nape. 
you sure as hell can go walk up to that table and be like, have a conversation with them. I'm Josh. What do you do? Yeah, you can do that. And that's one of the great opportunities that, that Nate provides is that opens up doors. It, yeah. Yeah. They're anti vendor, which be that's it, cool. be yeah. it what it is. Yep. I mean, they're anti vendor. So you're basically talking to every, every table is somebody that is actually in the business. That's why I, that's nice. why I like Nate yeah. so much, especially, you know, you go out to OTC and you mention that you own a few wells and you've got, every motherfucker out there trying to <laughs> it's like it's a little overwhelming yeah but yeah. napes uh very good in that aspect yeah that, and from know, a vendor perspective the, the roi is not really there we've talked to i know a whole bunch of other guys who were in like oil and gas tech and stuff and they've set up booths and they're like yeah we we've got ways to measure it and it's it's really not there it all happens the best place is just to throw an after party we've seen that with your tech we've seen that with nape we've seen right. it with odc it's not just nape it's all the conferences right. but from the actual deal flow side it makes more sense yeah yeah well, it's, I mean, it's hard. It's yeah. Hard, you know, if you can go to a Doug conference and pay 700 bucks for a table and get in front of the same people that you can at NAPE, depending on what, what it is that you're trying to sell, NAPE, it's seven grand and you're in a, in a, in a table in the back corner. Yeah. By like, the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> like no one, like I don't even know what row you're in. 20, yeah. 27. You don't, even, you don't get a I don't, row. Yeah, yeah, I don't, <laughs> you have to drop a pin and people have to come find you. <laughs> yeah. You know, and if you want, center placement it's 20 grand you're not making money not yeah. not as a vendor like yeah. you just can't do it yep but on a deal flow side if you're trying to sell things it was so big last year because the market is moving from operated deals to minerals like mm-hmm. you'll see zillion minerals are mineral very competitive yep companies pop up if it if oil continues to just run the course, sixty seven, seventy seven, eighty seven minerals are going. I mean, it's just so. Do you do you monster. mess with mineral deals, land deals, or is it all producing assets? Nah, so we do producing non-op. We do mineral deals. The problem with mineral deals is that because they're so lucrative, everyone wants to be in it, and when everyone's in it, means ninety percent of the people you deal with are. Stupid. I mean, they just don't know what they're doing mm-hmm. and they're trying to pop as much money on the front end as possible. Why am I going to sell a whole bunch of mineral deals when I can increase the price of this mineral deal by 900% and go spend the year in Fiji? Cause that's what they do. You know, how are the, how are the mineral deals? I don't know the economics of mineral deals, to be honest with you. Like, so, how, how are they so lucrative? Like, what, what is the actual business model? From my understanding, you go out and you, you purchase all these different plots of land, you, you group it all together and you sell it as one package. Is that right? Or is that? I mean, that's how it is now. And they call them sheets. And if you get a sheet, then, I mean, it's just trash. It goes to everybody, yeah. you know, and they try to, you know, make as much money as humanly possible. But, you know, they're buying it from the mineral owner. They're buying it from the land owner or mm-hmm. whatever. And they're paying. So doing it on the legwork, going yeah, to the courthouse. 200, yeah. 200 bucks for yeah. a mineral acre. And then in the stack, you could sell them for, you know, 10000 an acre. I mean, if you can convince a mineral owner that you're going to get him the best possible deal ever and it's $3000 an acre what what does he have to lose mm-hmm. yeah okay yeah i'm third generation or whatever and this sounds like a great land idea land just sitting here why not let it make yeah. some kind of money why, yeah. nobody I'll, else has approached ca- you yeah i'll cash out for 3000 an acre in the meantime these mineral guys are selling it for totally nine. Work. yeah yeah you know they're making 
Just arbitrage. Yeah, six thousand and so it's similar like wholesaling and re- real right. estate. Yeah, That's right. just doing the legwork, all the all the dirty work, and then turn around and market right. it up. But unfortunately, sometimes it doesn't go that way. Yeah, because sometimes you go from mineral buyer to broker to broker to broker to broker to broker, and you're That's like when you nine. said when you said there's a lot of money in it. Yeah. I was gonna say there's a lot of middlemen. There's in a it. lot of middlemen in it, and yeah. that's the deal. These sheets go out, and it's like the brother's cousin's uncle's third sister is like the mineral owner. That's why. Mm-hmm. That's why I always say that land and minerals will be the first sector that's disrupted by blockchain. Yeah, it was the you first just, thing I was thinking. Cut you, all the middlemen. Cut middle out all those yeah. middlemen. Oh yeah, and you have the tra- transactions peer to peer. Right. So I think, which is uh, why I think the biggest opportunity for that, and which is why I think that the mineral companies are going to be the next big thing, is states like Louisiana have horrible land records, horrible land records, known for being a horrible land record place. Yeah. <laughs> and if you could take all that out and you could find that, you know, Bubba John has a tenth of an acre and you know where he lives because you've got the technology to track him down. Hey, Bubba, you, you want to sell yeah. out for two grand? <laughs> like right now? You, you own a tenth yeah. of an acre. Like no one wants to spend the time to do that. But if you, have I think that's why the market exists because nobody wants to do it. If the technology was there, it would be almost commoditized at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, it wouldn't be yeah. as lucrative. But that's the way the world's going. It, it just absolutely blows my mind that you have to go to the courthouse and pull all these records and yeah. then like hunt down these people and then <laughs> some of them have died and then you have to figure out who's on the trust yep. or who the who the son I is had or a, whatever. I had a landman stint for two weeks. <laughs> It's a long time, man. It's all, you're seasoned. It's all, it's all it took for me to be like, fuck this. Like, I'm not standing in a courthouse right. for but eight hours the, a day going through land and title records. Like, the guys that know how to do it or know how to delegate it are are the ones that are making money. That's period. That's yeah. what it is. And I mean, we've had several land companies reach out to us like, hey, we want to mm-hmm. develop some internal software and a lot of these mineral funds are starting to look out, okay, how can we yeah. really take this up to the next level Absolutely. and get a competitive advantage? Because it's a really competitive place. And, yeah. you know, you get a lot of big private equity money in there that will just come up and buy everything. And they don't care if they're paying a premium on the front end. And it kind of right. makes it harder for the smaller mom and pop funds to operate. You know, yeah. they have to really get dirty in the trenches. So, yeah. Which is why we're we're successful. Watch why Beachwood is successful. Yeah. Because – you know, when's the last time that you heard of an oil and gas call room? Because they don't exist. We, Mm -hmm. you know, well, I've got six people in the room. We call all day, every day to everyone. No Mm -hmm. one has time for them. I mean, you run an oil and gas company. You don't have time to call and figure out if that well's for sale. Yeah. Yeah, It's a perfect, perfect niche. Yeah. Yeah, And it it makes sense for the the client to use y'all, you know, just you're essentially a team of manpower to go out and carry out the mission. So yeah, makes a lot of sense. You just deliver nice. It sounds like a neatly wrapped package. (laughs) It sounds like end of this year, end of 2018, beginning of 2019 may be a busy one for you. Yeah. When we have all these, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Knock on wood. I hope it's busy for you. So, well, I think we need to start wrapping it up, man. It's been yeah. great talking with you. Got a lot of insight. Excited to see what happens for Beachwood. And hopefully you're busy towards the end of the year, making hey, a lot man. of money. I appreciate you guys inviting <laughs> me on the show. So if people want to find you, how do they reach you? We'll, we'll put it in the show notes. Okay. Yeah. Beachwoodmarketing.com. Beachwoodmarketing. Um, find you on LinkedIn. Find me on LinkedIn. 
Yeah, you can track me down. Yeah. On Last name on again is Robbins. Is Robbins. Mm-hmm. Joshua Robbins, CEO. Oh. Of and who are, the, who are the ideal people that need to reach out to? I mean, I guess now is anybody, huh? Any, yeah, any kind can, of EMPs? Yeah, you can go anybody. Yeah. yeah, if you search mutual marketing on LinkedIn, anybody can okay. track you and figure awesome. out what you need. Cool, man. Yeah. Great conversation. Yeah, really thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. Cut, 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 cut.